Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And just having profound sense of empathy for my father and his experience. You know, seeing the boy in him who was not loved. And I think he worked his hardest to get out of the clutches of scarcity. And he told himself a very logical story. If I can provide for my kids, then they'll be safe in ways that I was not. And he wasn't wrong, right? Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls. And the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives. And that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you? What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are? Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story. What happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. 
beautiful friend, do you suffer from depression? Symptoms of depression are not always obvious. You might feel constantly tired. You might be low in energy, low in motivation. You might have constant feelings of anxiety or worry, feelings of sadness or feeling constantly guilty about everything. If this sounds like you, take a look at Destroy Depression. It's a treatment plan that works regardless of your symptoms or your age. It's a totally drug-free, straightforward plan that explains everything you need to know about eliminating depression step by step. Destroy Depression helps you dominate your depression. It helps you take back control over your symptoms and it comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee so you really have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Click the link in the show notes to find out more about how Destroy Depression can help you because you really do deserve to live your life free from the symptoms of depression. Hey, my beautiful friends, and welcome back to the podcast. Children who experience trauma grow up feeling that their world is inherently unsafe and out of control. And in order to get back to a feeling of safety, they will try and exert some sort of control over their environment and over themselves. In this quick chat episode, we are hearing from Mika, who grew up in a very controlled religious environment. Her father was a disciplinarian and Mika began obsessively washing her hands by the age of five until they were red and raw. Later, she developed an eating disorder and she flip-flopped between dissociation and hypervigilance. Looking back, Mika says she felt that no part of her own being was in any way under her control and it made her sick mentally and physically. Kids need the freedom to learn to make their own decisions. They need to understand that no matter what they do, they are loved. This episode is an insight into the trauma of a father passed down to his daughter as she fought for control over every aspect of her life and herself. We pick up the story as Mika is sharing how a huge part of her healing has been in finding true and real empathy for a controlling father who was highly traumatized himself. My father's father was severe alcoholic and prone to being abusive. And I think there were probably also all sorts of mental complexities going on that certainly in that time, in that place of the world, were not diagnosed, were not talked about. If anything, they were like shameful secrets that you just took to God and you probably felt like were your punishment for something. So one of the biggest components of my own healing has come through and just having profound sense of empathy for my father and his experience, you know, seeing the boy in him who was not loved. And I think he worked his hardest to get out of the clutches of scarcity. And he told himself, 
a very logical story. If I can provide for my kids, then they'll be safe in ways that I was not. And he wasn't wrong, right? So he, the privilege that he afforded me by us not being in extreme poverty got me support when I needed support. What was still lacking was love. It's very hard to do something that you've not experienced, that you've not really got any exposure to. So, yes, that's a little window into his world. Tough. A tough one. <laughs> Absolutely. And I love that you are able to have that compassion and understanding. I mean, it takes, takes us a while to get to that point, but to look back and understand that that person who raised you was struggling big time themselves so mm -hmm. sometimes they just don't have those things to give us so what was yeah. your relationship like with your dad growing up it was very fraught he you know in in all honesty I'm not sure that he wanted to have another child he had two daughters from a previous marriage that was basically like a high school sweetheart who got pregnant. It was a very dysfunctional relationship that ended. And he, he met my mom actually when she, she was working. It's a very, if you're familiar with that show, Mad Men, it's very Mad Men-esque. My mom was working as his secretary and it was like a temporary job for her in between semesters of university and after the first day of being on the job site with him she called the agency she worked for and said I'm just not going to go back this guy is too much of a chauvinist <laughs> and but she didn't heed the warning of her own intuition and they asked her to see through the week and you know I, I think probably knowing the whole of the story as I do now my dad was probably thinking he was being commanding and powerful and that that would woo her in some way. My mother really wanted a child. And so I think it was more her wanting me than him. And I think ultimately he was looking for in my mother, a mother himself. And so there was a lot of tension, competition, jealousy between I didn't feel that I felt more threatened by him but he I think felt jealous of me as a threat to his security of like a maternal presence if you will yeah and so they met and obviously you were born and <laughs> and how was how did you deal with growing up with your dad <sighs> well you know my dad I always, I love Brene Brown. She's one of my favorite thinkers. And one of the first concepts that really attracted me to her, her philosophy, her approach, if you will, is this concept of duality of the both and. And I feel like my dad is so much the both and. Because when I think about the, like the hardest things in my life, <laughs> I think of my dad. When I think about some of the greatest lessons in my life, I think about my dad, which is a strange thing. He was so hard on me. Like, you know, 
militant is the best word to describe the level of like vigilance and discipline. I mean, we would have to make our beds and have bed checks, make sure there were no wrinkles. I mean, it was like over the top. Things were color coded. I mean, it just had to be meticulous, which is a lot when you're a little kid. And and it wasn't just that that was the standard. It was that if the standard wasn't met, the stakes were very high in terms of consequence and, you know, penance to pay. The other side of my dad was this man who I really saw as having a mysterious sort of command of nature and a kind of charisma and how he carried himself through life. Like my dad could walk into a room and just light it up. And he, one of the things that he would always say to me is, you never, I never meet a stranger. Like I'm going to befriend whoever I meet. And I think that's part of how he got himself out of scarcity is he just charmed people. So that was like admirable, but abstract from my lived in experience. We also had like a really, really lush garden in our backyard when I was a kid, because I grew up on a, like a little humble farm in Tennessee. And he was very determined to ensure that I understand, I understood the cycles of nature as reflected through that garden. So it was like, we work really hard and then we wait and then the fruits come. And so these lessons, I mean, they, they show themselves to me all the time in some of my best moments with my kids, in some of the best moments in my work, just thinking about the fundamentals of like discipline, hard work, trust, faith, these things that he taught as filtered through a really different lens than the one that I look through. But at the essence level, I feel like the values are pretty consistent, which is kind of remarkable. And there's such a, there's such two sides to that personality, isn't there? All of that nature and all of that wanting to always be friends with people. And yet this real control sort of side of having things color coded and just trying to keep control of his environment, I guess, at the same time. And you talk about your dad's family and their involvement in the church. How did that filter through to you? What sort of beliefs from oh, that goodness. did you? Yeah. I could give you a I could give you a book on that one. We were at the church every time the doors were open, which meant Sunday in the morning, Sunday at night, and Wednesday in the evening. And you know, to not go was really problematic. It was not to be in God's favor to miss a time. And you needed to be, you know, appearing your best. You needed to be, it didn't matter. We, we might fight and scream at one another the whole car ride there. But when we walked through the door, it was like smiles on, game on, you know. And then the lessons within the church walls are the part that I find the most sort of unsettling just in hindsight, like thinking about the way in which my husband and I were talking about just about this just the other day, like I was really raised to believe that we as daughters of Eve, all of us women were, we are, we were punished every month through our cycle for being curious. So therefore we had to experience pain every month and that pain culminated 
in childbirth when we really had to suffer and struggle because of what we did in the Garden of Eden. This was the narrative that defined my orientation to being a girl and a woman. I remember very specifically one Sunday in Sunday school and a little boy in the Sunday school class kissed me on the cheek. I ran like my, my feet were on fire just as fast as I could to the bathroom in the church and was scrubbing my face because I felt like so much fear of contamination and not wanting to, to, to break any of these like really rigid rules. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's a lot, isn't it? To have to carry <laughs> through your life, just even just that whole monthly cycle thing and right. just, oh, wow. That, I mean, just framing it like that for, for young girls, that's, that's a lot. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. What did you believe was your value as a, a girl or a female in the world out of that? Wow. I mean, I don't think, I mean, I, I think that I believed as a young girl that I didn't have a lot of value, just quite, quite simply stated, and that even potentially worse, my value was only as deemed by men. You know, like, so if I was pleasing, if I was acceptable, if I was pretty enough, but not too much to be provoking, if I was smart enough, but not too much to be provoking, if I was all of these things, but just in the right perfect proportion to warrant acceptance and non-threat, then I was safe, safe, not valuable. Yeah. Wow. It's like impossible almost isn't it like mm -hmm. it's impossible to ah oh, to just live in the world to be yourself in any way shape or form when there's so many boundaries that you've got to stay within mm -hmm. there's so much control isn't there around <laughs> you as a child and around your mum as well mm. and so what did this start to how did this start to impact you as you were growing up I mean what on a daily basis what yeah. impact was it having I mean I think the earliest like indications of things being not quite right started early like around five or six years old I 
I remember this very, very viscerally. I became very OCD about washing my hands constantly, maniacally washing my hands. And I think some of this stemmed from everything had to be so meticulous all the time. I was terrified for it not to be. And there was, again, that evangelical backdrop where, like, you don't want to be dirty. You don't want to be sinful. You don't want to be contaminated in any way. So I just, I took it all the way. My little knuckles would be bloody from just being so chapped from washing them. And then I think there was another instance several years later. I was probably, that, that, the hand washing was around five. I'd say the next one happened around eight where suddenly I just had like this intense pain in my neck. I remember feeling it like, you know, and they were doing all these tests trying to figure out what, what is going on? I had to wear one of those little neck braces. Like, you know, if you've been in a car accident, they never really figured out what was wrong. I mean, now knowing what I do about trauma, I I think it was just like my body's way of screaming for help of the pain and the stress and the pressure that my little, little seven, eight year old system was under, but the signs were just missed because they were so preoccupied and encumbered themselves. And then by the time I was like 12 or 13, I was already starting to develop a pretty serious eating disorder, which you've used the word control a couple of times. I mean, at the root of that was two, two sort of fundamental things. One, control. I had nothing, including my own being, was in any way in my agency or control. So I started to control food because it was a thing I could control. There was also a large preoccupation in the house around not... My, my dad had a big value around discipline. So one of the ways discipline was reflected was in your wellness. You, you, you definitely, he had like a real hang up with people being overweight because that reflected a lack of discipline. So he was often chiding my mother for not being fit enough, you know, and as a little kid, I internalized messages like, oh, if you, if you eat too much of that, you might have your mom's problem. So don't do that. So there were all sorts of like perfect little fodder for my developing mind to to have the raw material to create an eating disorder um yeah so those are some of the ways it showed up wow yeah that's it's extreme isn't it and do you think that your dad was suffering from some mental illnesses that weren't diagnosed (sighs) I do I definitely do I mean I but certainly he had complex trauma that was never, he, I mean, we, I remember a couple of times trying to see a therapist and he just could not handle it. I mean, we maybe went twice to like a family therapist. And I think one of the times he actually just walked out of the room and said, I'm not going to do this. This is not going to happen. But apart from like specifically like mental illnesses, I mean, I've often wondered if my dad is on the spectrum in some capacity. I've often wondered about bipolar, you know, and and without properly assessing, it's hard to know because trauma can look like so many of these other things, can activate so many of these other things. So it's sort of like 
it's one of those conundrums where I'll never really know exactly what is there, but what's very clear is that the unresolved trauma, well, what became very clear to me is that whatever epigenetic markers around unresolved trauma, that I had agency at this point in my life to re-script, rewrite, that that was going to stop with me. At what age did you say that was? Well, when I got to that point, goodness, that took me a long time. It wasn't really until I got to the, it wasn't until my children were born, actually, that I realized, oh my God, there's a lot still buried. Because up to that point, I just learned to manage it all really well. But what's manageable in the absence of children can become much harder to manage when you have these little tiny pulsing beings that need everything. Absolutely. It's interesting, I think, how most people seem to be able to get away with it until they have kids and then mm-hmm. then it just hits you in the face, doesn't it? It's like mm-hmm. you can't, you, you just can't ignore it anymore. So by the time you're, what, 14, you you've really got OCD, you've got an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you're just sitting in this complete powerlessness, really, aren't you? Yeah, totally powerless, totally. I mean, I, I think like just ping-ponging from complete disassociation and and being out of my body to like extreme hypervigilance and control. And just my spirit, like ping-ponging back and forth between those two, trying to dodge dodge bullets, so to speak, because it all felt very unpredictable. Like sometimes things were okay and good, and then they could change on a dime. And all of that was so contingent on my dad's mood. Yeah. And did you ever get to a point where you were able to push back at all against your dad? Yeah, it took a long time <laughs> because he was he was so scary as a little person, but I think by the time I was a teenager, probably like on the so I had a pretty full on like break because of the eating disorder. I had, I I ended up sort of passing out the wheel of the car. I had a terrible car accident. All sort of happened because of being malnourished. Like I just I wasn't eating. I was living on like 200 calories a day for a very long time. And that's not very sustainable, right? So when I came out of that experience, you know, they they took me to like a rehab center, like something's wrong, fix her. And that was a that was definitely a turning point and i remember working with a therapist at that point in time and i remember telling her sort of the things that went on at home and she was like do you know that this stuff that you're telling me is not normal and that you have permission to say you can't do this to me and That was the craziest, most novel thought that I'd ever heard because I didn't because he told me my whole life. I was his, I was his, I belonged to him. Right. So I thought to myself, and at this point I was probably about 17 
because I wasn't, I know that I was because I wasn't technically 18 and an adult to sort of speak for myself. But she said to me, if he threatens you again at the house, I don't care what time of day it is. I want you to call this number. This is my after hours emergency number. So within like weeks of that conversation, it happened. And I said to him, I'm going to call. You can't do this to me anymore. And I called her and she made him get on the phone with her. And it was such a surreal experience. Like looking back at that moment through the lenses that I have now. Wow. Just I can see how the how everything sort of shifted in that moment. I remember him sort of skulking to his room after what was technically, I think, a reprimand from the therapist saying, if you continue to threaten, I will call the police. It's not acceptable. So what I actually learned in that moment was how to set a boundary, that you get to set a boundary. I had no no education in that prior to that moment. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And I've heard these stories where you can have this toxic parent doing this your whole life and it just takes one incident to really help mm-hmm. them to step back out of that because mm-hmm. it just becomes what everybody is doing. You're expecting to be treated that way. He's expecting to treat you that way and it just yep, yep. becomes what you all do. It's... Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting that he sculpted off to his room. It kind of makes me feel like, oh my gosh, you know. I know. How how long and how many years these things go on for. And just all you need is one person to tell that person what you're doing is not acceptable. Right. And so did you did you leave home at some point soon after? Yes. Very shortly after that, I left I left home. And I really never went back, you know, and, and I didn't just leave home. I went from rural Tennessee to China to as I mean, I went started college. I went and studied Asian philosophies, which was just a total shock and awe for my like evangelical family in Tennessee. And, you know, it, it was so incredibly healing to escape that's what it felt like 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 oh my god what what did i just get out of and where am i now and this there's this whole other world and they think so differently and i don't even have to believe any of those things anymore so you know yes on some levels i totally ran away from my problems And I still had to come back and deal with them. But I also think for me, for me, that definitive break and line in the sand was such a critical part of my healing. Thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me. If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at my big love project and please share this episode 
with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week. Thank you.